Hey, Caitlin. Hey, Desmond. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Can you hear me okay? Absolutely. Can you hear me? I can. Perfect. Perfect. So how is your day going so far? It is pretty good. I have no complaints. How about you? Same here. Just finished eating dinner not too long ago. So nice. Not a not a bad place to be. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> so before we start, I just want to say thank you so much for accepting my invitation to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to be on and um, yeah, excited to chat. Let's go. So your first topic is talk about your life story from like your childhood all the way up to now. Oof. Okay. So do you want me to just go ahead and start? Absolutely. Okay. Um, so man, my childhood up to here. Um, so when I was really little, I moved by the time I was four, about four times. Um, and when I was four, we landed in Colorado due to my parents' job. Um, I changed schools a lot too. Um, and then my parents got divorced when I was eight. When that occurred, we started kind of having the blended family, um, which was pretty good. I would say I have a pretty great stepmom, And then that brought me to kind of my teenage years. Um, I would say that was a pretty challenging time for me. That's kind of what started out my journey um, into, you know, the work I do today. I started getting into some trouble hanging out with the wrong crowd. Um, my mom told me, you know, you need to either get a job or figure out volunteering something to use some of that extra free time because I was definitely getting into, into some trouble. So I started volunteering when I was 13. Um, and that was really the start of you know, figuring out that I really like to help people. I started volunteering anywhere I really could get in. Um, started with equine therapy, working with kids with um, disabilities. And then that really went into working in a uh, domestic violence shelter. And that actually landed me my first job. So my first job, I was a women's advocate in a domestic violence shelter when I was 16. Um, and then that kind of continued. So, um, I ended up going to school for my bachelor's degree in um, human services with the concentration in mental health counseling. I, well, let me back up. So I actually, I started school for nursing um, and I wanted to go kind of the psych route of a nurse practitioner. And that was my choice because I had worked in involuntary psych in Newark um, when my parents had divorced. My dad actually moved to New Jersey and I would go and stay out there during, um, summers and breaks and different things. And I would work at the involuntary psych unit there. And I really fell in love um, with that. So that's when I started pursuing my bachelor's degree, um, found out very, very quickly that nursing was not something I wanted to do because I <laughs> do not like bodily fluids. So I was like, Ooh, nursing clinicals, not my thing. Um, <laughs> and that kind of helped me shift into the counseling aspect. Um, I continued and I did my internship and practicum for my bachelor's degree in a community corrections facility with uh, men that had been in prison for about 20, 25 years. Um, and that was a brutal awakening. Um, but I started seeing kind of the impact of substance abuse and mental health and the co-occurring um, 
or how they kind of co-occurred together. And I became really interested in that. So I pursued um, formal education and addiction counseling. And I'm currently in my master's for uh, mental health or clinical mental health counseling um, to get kind of dual licensed. And I'm specializing in marriage and family counseling. So I guess in a long-winded way, that's what got me to where I am today. <laughs> so you're a jack of all trades, pretty much. <laughs> I try. Um, you know, I started seeing like when you work with individuals, life is tough. Like there's so many different aspects and so many different pieces of a person that inter make us who we are, right? And cause a lot of the the struggles that we have. And so I felt like I really need to know what I'm talking about if I'm going to be helping people because life happens from family dynamics and substance use and mental health and um, all of our daily interactions. So I decided, you know, I want to be able to help people that are struggling with all of those different aspects of their life and be also able to support their family members in that space too. Um, because obviously we know how when we're in a family system, everything that we do impacts our family members as well. And same vice versa, they impact what we do. Um, so yeah, I think that's why the the training um, and the jack of all trades kind of started. Right. It's best to be well versed in multiple fields instead of just one. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think you uh, you have to be when you're working with people, because like I said, we're really holistic. There's a lot of different things that make us up. We don't just function on one level. So if you're just working with someone on kind of their mental health, but they're using a substance or they're having issues with their family, you're not going to be helping them in kind of every different, every single different way. And as counselors, we take an oath that we don't do any harm. And to me, I take that a little bit deeper. I think that if you're working with somebody on one aspect of their identity, you are doing harm because that's not going to help them in every different way that they're functioning. Right. Cause we all have different layers to us and you have to peel back each one slowly until you get to the heart of whatever issue it may be. Absolutely. That is, could not have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> so going back a little bit with going to all the different schools that you went to, did you have like trouble making friends or did you ever experience any bullying during those time period? You know, I did. Um, with, with the school changes, I think it, it was a lot of that. It was, I didn't feel like I fit in. And then, um, to be honest, I think early on, since I had been moving a lot, um, I think I started being a bully. Um, to be honest, I think really? that, I, yeah, I think that I just was so I was trying to protect myself so much and show that I did fit in wherever I went that I actually think I was the one that was pushing people away or um, trying to show that I was worth it or that I deserved to be there. And I think that when I noticed that, um, I was actually at a pretty young age and I told my mom that I actually told her, I was like, you know, I think that I'm being a bully. And she, um, I ended up changing schools and just to make sure that, you know, I could have kind of that fresh start. And I started paying attention at an early age to like my friend's feelings. And I think that's something that's kind of odd for younger kids, but we, we don't think that a lot of kids really understand what's happening or really the intensity of their feelings. And it's not true when we look at early, early childhood development, the stages, um, you know, of how they develop at different ages, 
really from a very early age, we are seeing that they shift their identity and they um, do understand a lot more about how they feel and what they're seeing and what they're taking in from the world. And so when I look back at my, you know, my journey growing up, I did see that and I shifted really quickly seeing, hmm, okay, you know, what does make people feel good? And what if I, um, you know, ask people more about themselves and talk about myself or these different aspects. And that really changed kind of my journey as well. Um, and that is when I stopped shifting schools as much too. Um, and, and I'll say too, we did move a lot. And then when my parents got divorced, we moved again. So I was changing schools too, because we were shifting like places we were living, counties we were changing in. Um, then I went to like a charter school. I went to like a Catholic school at one point. Um, and then I went to public school. Um, and so part of that was not necessarily me just changing because I wanted to, but rather because we were moving. But I did notice the, when I did have a choice, that was what I kind of noticed. Right, because it's just so hard to get to know people when you're constantly on the go all the time. You like, you know, you're not going to be here for long. So it's like in your mind, you feel like, what's the point of trying to be friends or talk to anybody? You feel like you're going to be somewhere else the next day or next month or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. I think I, um, I talked a lot about that with my sister because obviously um, she was in the same boat with changing schools. And she did at one point kind of stop making friends um, because of that reason, because we were moving so much and didn't feel like we could establish those roots um, because we didn't know how long our friends would be around. Right. Absolutely. Um, so I'm just glad that you were able to, despite all that adversity, moving all over the place and, and just being different points in life, you're able to be successful and make a difference in people's lives today. Thank you. Yeah. I think that that's what brings most people to the field of helping people in some way, right. Is having that adversity yourself and knowing how it feels to not be super happy or not feel like you belong. Right. I couldn't agree more. So your next topic, uh, we've been talking about it. Um, talk about working with people from different walks of life and how has it impacted you on a personal level? Oof, yeah. So like I said, really early on, I started working with and volunteering with people that were in really different walks of life than me. Um, and I became really interested in that because what it did teach me is to be really humble. Um, it taught me that kind of my core belief nowadays is that every single person has something unique to offer. Um, I think that I learned so much from some of the clients that I encountered. I mean, some of my most powerful memories of working with people happened in working with clients in involuntary psych. I had a, a really unique interaction with a lot of clients there. And I got to talk to people that were you know, coming off substances or, um, one lady specifically, she had schizoaffective disorder. So, you know, she was hearing voices and talking to people about what their reality was and how it was different than mine really showed me a lot about different cultures and the world and how at the bottom of that, everybody's just trying to do the best possible thing there. We're all having the same goal of trying to figure out how to be a good person, whatever that looks like to us, how to feel like we belong somewhere and to be accepted, right? Those are basic human needs that we have and that we all battle. And I think 
by working with, you know, like I said, people of all different walks of life, that's really what I saw. Um, I've worked with just a little about my background of who I've worked with. Um, I've worked in involuntary psych units. I've worked with um, veterans. I've worked with uh, people that were um, victims of sexual assault. I've worked with perpetrators of sexual assault, worked with people in community correction centers. I've worked with gang members, um, substance abuse, kind of anything you can think of. I worked in a a uh, retirement community for a little while too. So, um, you know, with volunteering, that was one of the biggest benefits is I got to say, oh my gosh, how exciting. I get to go talk to people and hear the stories of people's lives that are so different than mine um, and have so much unique and beautiful knowledge to share. Right. I feel like we're put on earth, not just to find our purpose, but to be able to network with one another. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, going back to that idea, it is a basic human need to feel accepted. Um, but I think some of that acceptance comes around with interacting with people in such a different light than ourselves, because it's, it's hard to just stay in your own unique little shell, right? I mean, you miss out on so much if you do so. Right. Like you got to step out of your comfort zone every now mm-hmm. and then. Absolutely. So your next question is talk about the importance of having a strong support system. Oof, that is a big one. Um, man, this is something I talk about with every single one of my clients. And I can say that without even second guessing it. Community is so incredibly powerful. Um, I think specifically with, with thinking of substance use, um, we, we have this kind of common saying that, sobriety and recovery is not taking away the substance. It's not actually stopping using the substance. It's community because that's why things like AA work for some people. And that's why uh, sober living works for other people, because there's a sense of community and acceptance again, right? There's a sense of people understand me because they understand what I'm going through. And that power alone takes so much of the shame and guilt, right? Even, even if we're not talking about substance abuse, um, first time moms, right? Think about that idea there. That's such a specific event that you're going through and it's challenging and it's hard. But when you have people that understand it and say, I get it, I know what you're going through. And you can reach out to and say, oh, this is a hard day for me. And to have somebody that understands is truly powerful. It helps us feel like we don't have to take on the stresses and the burdens of our lives every day. I think that sometimes we think that we're really alone or that it's powerful because, you know, we're, we're doing it on our own and we don't need the help. And my question is always, you can do it, but why do it alone? There's really right. no reason. Exactly. So let somebody else take the pressure off you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're community beings, right? Like we're not supposed to be these lone wolves. We like to interact. Um, the research, if you actually go and look at the idea between being an introvert and being an extrovert, um, has very much shifted recently because we need other people. The, if you look at even, um, 
I was reading something. I can't remember exactly where it's coming from. It was a study on happiness, right? This idea of like, we chase this idea of happiness and people say that their life happiness and their feeling of um, success in life, it didn't matter on other people because they were an introvert. And they did a study on this and it actually shows that that's not true. Um, introverts and extroverts both need that community and that feeling of acceptance because it, again, it's a basic human need. And I know I've harped on that idea, but it's so powerful to know that you have other people that understand you. Right. Absolutely. You got to communicate with other human beings. Like you can't just lock yourself. Like you said, be in a shell or keep yourself in the house. Like you got to go out and just, just talk to somebody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The there's can, even if you're, you know, going out and you have that social anxiety or nervous to interact with people, being in the presence of other people, even if it is like not even exchanging conversations or, you know, exchanging words, um, within the first 10 seconds, people have already decided how you're going to fit into their life and if you will. So if you're not even opening your mouth, you're obviously there's some sort of energy exchange or, you know, thinking of this idea of when you're in somebody else's space, you feel it, right? There's something that happens. So um, yeah, even if you're uncomfortable going out, go sit at a coffee shop and just sit there, observe, right? Have some sort of interaction with other beings where you're not isolated because isolation is what, you know, people say stress is that silent killer. No, isolation is that silent killer. I couldn't agree more. It's like, come on, you got some point, like I said, you got to communicate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to, even if it's with family members. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Again, if you feel a connection, then... Um, you know, there's power in that. It changes how we interact daily in our lives. It changes how we feel about ourselves, our self-image. Um, that piece of connection is really, really important. Absolutely. So your next question is, why is it important to have an open mind when you're trying something new for the first time? Yeah, I mean, I think with any idea, if you've already made up your mind about something, then you've already decided how you're going to feel. You've already decided what that interaction is going to be like. And this is really how, you know, two people could go through the exact same thing, whether it's an amazing event or it's a traumatic event and they can come out feeling very differently or having very different beliefs, right? It's talking about looking at, you know, somebody that went through adversity and um, is still struggling versus somebody that went through adversity and took that adversity and you know, used it to do something like Oprah. She's a fantastic example of that, right? Um, so if you have a closed mind going into something, your mind makes up your perception. It's how we experience things. Your thoughts are what interprets your feelings. And or yeah, your some there's two schools of thought on it, actually. It's either thoughts come first and then feelings and then event or um, feelings and thoughts and events. So it doesn't really matter which way you look at it. But The idea is that they are together. So if you go into something closed-minded and you say, oh, this is going to suck and this is what it's going to look like, then you're absolutely right. You can, in a sense, predict that future piece because if you believe something, then that's what's going to happen. Our thoughts are really powerful, not because it shifts a reality or creates something out of thin air. It's because it creates our feeling about it, which is what actually happens in our body, our um. It's called our vagus nerve, and it's what tell is allows that communication from your brain to your body to talk, right? So right. when you decide, I'm going to feel this way about an event, 
goes through that vagus nerve and your brain tells your body how you're going to feel about it. It changes the chemistry in your body to allow that emotion to be felt. So you can't trick your brain. And if you're closed-minded, then you're not going to enjoy it and you're not going to accept or be open to anybody else's perspective that may be different. And you only have one life, so you got to make the most of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I think um, being open-minded is another beautiful gift that I really received from working with people in all different walks of life because I saw, you know, people that maybe you didn't think were going to be a great teacher versus, you know, somebody that's in a college education classroom and is your professor and you're like, oh, I'm going to learn so much from them. No, I learned, I, I still learn so much more from my clients than I ever do people that are supposed to be teaching me, right? Because that's the real work. You're interacting, you're connecting with another human and that's how you're going to learn. Right. You think you're going to get information from one source, but it comes from another source you wasn't expecting it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those textbooks, man, I tell you, they don't teach you everything you need to know. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that one. Like, I read all this stuff, but I got everything I needed from this person. I'm like, mm-hmm. what was I doing this whole time? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it makes you think, too, about, like, the small things um, in life. One of my clients had told me that they weren't even listening to anything I said But the fact that I came into our session with a smile on my face is what mattered to them. And so they immediately felt comfortable and they said, you could have said a million different things, but it wouldn't have mattered because if you wouldn't have come in with a smile on your face, I wouldn't have been your client, right? I wouldn't have felt comfortable. And me even thinking of that, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I prepare all this stuff and my informed consent and, you know, my mandatory disclosure and all these crazy things that I need for counseling and none of it mattered. What mattered, I mean, it matters legally, but none of it mattered to the client, which is what matters. Right. It's the smallest things you don't think about at the time. Mm -hmm. So your next question is, what is your definition of cross addiction? Yeah. So a cross addiction is, let me step back. So an addiction um, is not necessarily to a specific item. An addiction is the thought patterns. So it's an obsessive thought pattern that causes you to act in a compulsive way or do something compulsively, right? So an alcohol addiction is having those obsessive thoughts, doing that obsessive behavior of drinking in excess or too much. Um, The cross addiction is when we take away one substance and we put it for something else. So um, I'll have a lot of, I've had a lot of clients where um, they'll come in and they'll have an alcohol addiction, right? And they will stop using alcohol. They'll go to either treatment or however they get sober. And um, we'll be talking and they'll be like, oh my gosh, yeah, I have, I've been sober. You know, I haven't drank anything, but oh my gosh, I have like $10,000 in credit card debt because I just can't stop buying things. That's the idea of a cross addiction because now they took all those compulsive thoughts and that obsessive need to, and they went and channeled it towards something else, which was shopping. And the most common ones we see are changing it for a different substance like alcohol for um, crack, heroin, meth, cocaine, whatever it is or um, changing it for a more behavior, right? It's anything that releases those endorphins. So shopping, gambling, sex addiction, um, that's the biggest piece, right? Because it's mind altering is the other piece of an addiction. It changes the chemistry in your brain and it is a brain disease. That's very interesting. 
I hope mm-hmm. everybody's been listening and paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so your next topic is how does one reclaim their self-confidence? Yeah. Oh, self-confidence is a tough one. Um, you know, I think the first part of self-confidence is being able to identify where you are, right? Going into that place of that non-judgmental space of here are the things that are working for me. Here are the things that are not. And really starting to look at them and figure out, okay, this is what I want. And this is where I'm at. How do I get there? Because when we have a goal, we start to, and we take baby steps towards it, we feel a sense of accomplishment. And that's really uh, one way that we can get back towards that self-confidence is we start accepting, again, because I said taking that non-judgmental look, accepting who we really are, letting go of those stories that we've held true from other people or from that we've told ourselves to be true, and then starting to practice, okay, how do I want to be? And let me act as if I am in that space. And again, it's not just as simple as like the toxic self-help of like, just act as is. And I say that specifically because going back to this idea of when you, even if you're going into a situation with a closed mind, your thoughts and feelings, you have control over what you can create in your body. And people have a hard time with this concept. But if you think about it, if you sit back right now and you take a deep breath and you think about a really happy memory, you feel that joy. You feel that lightness, that compassion, that love. That's because you just created that feeling in your body. All of those feelings came forward and you experienced them. So if you're telling yourself negative things about yourself, continuing this negative self-talk, you're increasing those negative feelings in your body, which again depicts or kind of depreciates that reservoir of self-confidence we have. The other myth I want to say about self-confidence is this idea that we all have it and we know we've all had it and we know how to get it because this is not something that's necessarily true. People will say like, well, as a kid, people just didn't care. Like kids don't care. They just do what they want. It's hard to identify that as really being self-confident. Sometimes self-confidence has to be taught. You have to, sometimes we don't learn that as kids, right? Again, going back to adversity. Sometimes that's not something that somebody learns as a child. They don't have the parents that are teaching them to be confident or the teachers or their mentors in their life. So acceptance of where you're at and also identifying very specifically where you want to be. The next piece about this where you want to be is not that vision board that has that, you know, crazy car and beautiful home and all these things. That's great. But when I say where you want to be, I want to know what feeling is behind that. What's the feeling that you're going for, right? What is that crazy car and beautiful home and um, financial freedom and all this stuff that we love to say, what's that going to give you? Is it going to make you feel successful? Is it going to make you feel free? Going for that and then creating those feelings within you of like, where do you already feel that? Where have you experienced that? Because we create more of what we have, right? We put our energy towards what we already have and what we want, what we know, right? We're creatures of habit. So if we have felt love before and we want more love, then if we create that in our body and in our minds and pay attention to how that feels, then we seek out more opportunities to feel that. 
And that's why if you're doing that rather than going towards, I'm going to grind, grind, grind until I get that house. And then you get there and you're like, well, why don't I feel happy? That's the reason behind it, right? Because you weren't necessarily wanting the house. You were wanting the experience behind the home. Right. Do you think today people in society have an issue with wanting instant gratification? Ooh, yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, the overconsumption and instant gratification is absurd nowadays. I was um, listening to a, a book and it was talking about this idea of how from 2008 to 2018, the amount of prescriptions for opiates, because we're obviously in an opiate epidemic right now, um, has increased by 60%. Um, and that's not just in the United States, that's multiple different countries. There are 28 countries that were listed in that. And the reason I bring that up is because we're so afraid of any discomfort or any pain that we're looking for a quick fix to that because we want that instant gratification so quickly because that makes us feel like it's going to make us feel better, right? Feel those feelings that we're actually going for. It's like, oh, if I had that opiate and I don't feel any pain, then I'll be happy and I'll be able to do blah, 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 blah. I feel like even if you get that high, I would say at that moment, you're still going to return back to the same situation that you were in. It's yeah. like, so what's the point of you doing that to begin with? Right. I had this conversation with a client actually the other day. Um, we talked about, you know, everybody uses substances for some reason. I'm not going to go out and say that there's no benefit to any substance because that's naive, right? People use for a reason initially, whether it's numbing or because they're having fun drinking at the bar, but eventually that shit, that changes, right? When it goes into now I have an excessive or compulsive need to do it and it's not fun anymore, but it still can numb, but we're not just numbing the bad, we're numbing the good. And so when I talked to my client about this, I said, you know, He's struggling with a lot of different um, things in his marriage and career. And I was talking to him about the idea of drinking because the drinking has increased. And I said, okay, so what are you getting out of drinking? And he said, numbing. I have a point where I can just put it aside and not think about it. And I said, and what happens when you come back? He goes, the, the problems are even bigger because now my wife is mad and I'm still out of a job and I haven't looked for a job. And you're right. It's that kind of perpetuating cycle of, why do I do this? Okay. I have this chemical need for it. And that's, you know, where we go back to that idea of a brain disease. But what happens is that we have to shift that piece. And that's where, you know, different types of therapy and treatment can come into play. But till we can realize what do we really want and how can we go about getting that? That's what I often say. It's just best to deal with whatever issue you have head on, even if you need to ask for help, just to deal with it sooner than later. So the problem doesn't grow more. Yeah, it's very true. And it's easier said than done. But that asking for help piece is, is a big hurdle to overcome. But again, why are you, you know, why are you trying to do it on your own? We don't have to, it, it's kind of letting go of this um, label of like bravado that we can, you know, and pride that we can do it on our own, and we don't need other people. And that's, that's hurtful. That harms us. Right. I think pride is one of the biggest things that can drag you down. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. So your next topic is letting go of the busy badge of honor. Talk about that. <laughs> so I like this idea of the busy badge of honor. And I use that language a lot because 
we in our society, I mentioned it like the grind, grind, grind. And that's how, you know, you stay at a job, you keep your head down, you work 80 hours a week, and then you get that beautiful house and all these things. And really, that's not what's true, right? We've kind of been sold this false lie of if you do that things, you get what you want. Um, But when we look at how it impacts people's mental health and how it impacts people's increased substance abuse or different addictions, what we see is that you're not actually enjoying what you're getting. And so I use this term, the busy badge of honor, because we really like to say when people are like, how are you? And you're like, oh, I'm so busy, right? How many times a day do we either get out of something because we're too busy or we um, are proud to say that you're so busy and you're so stressed. It becomes, again, and I I use it kind of interchanging, the busy badge of honor or the stress badge of honor. I'm so stressed. I'm so busy. And if we can get away from using those words and start paying attention to how many times you say this, we can start to see like what really matters and what we're putting our time towards. Because if you, if you are a really action oriented person, right, you find achievement in your accomplishments and your action, this is probably something you do a lot. And if you start to pay attention to this idea of, hmm, I keep saying I'm busy, but what am I actually doing with my time? Is it bringing me towards my goal? You can let go of this idea of I have to be go, go, go all the time to get what I want. It's starting to kind of create that new neural pathway in your brain um, to help you shift your perspective and your perception. Because if you're not present in your life and you're always so busy, then are you really enjoying anything that you're working towards? Right. That's a valid point. Like you work so hard, but you forget your own health too. That's a big thing. Yeah. And it's, I know I I keep referencing studies and I, and I, I love um, reading and staying up to date on these studies just because it's powerful to see, you know, what the trends are actually going on behind the scenes. And I read one a really long time ago, so it could have changed, but um, if anything, I feel like it's probably worse now. It was reading something that Um, the average male over 50 that was in the top 1%, um, had, I was like 93% of them had some sort of substance abuse related illness. And so again, showing just in that statistic of how that's not natural or attainable to do the grind, 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 get all the money and experience all that happiness. And it's taking that back and saying, is this really a valid dream that I want? Or is this something that society has been selling to me that I should want? All right. And that's when you have to sit down and really think and just ask yourself these tw- tough questions. Like at the end of the day, is it all worth it to yeah. work so hard if you're not reaching your goals? Right. And you know, I don't want to say that, you know, having goals or wanting financial freedom or wanting a beautiful house or a beautiful car is there's anything wrong with it. It's just watching what you're compromising to get that is the point. If you're enjoying your job and loving it and you are um, making good money and you get that car and you can enjoy it, fantastic. That is the goal. That is the dream. But if you are hating your job every single day and you're telling yourself, I have to keep this job because I want this house or I can't get this house. 
then maybe the house is not what actually the goal is, right? Getting creative about what you want is and how you can get there is one of the cool things about being a human, right? We're the only creatures that can really plan in our heads, right? There's um, other animals and mammals can do some things with their brain. But one of the things that not even like apes and, you know, even with similarities and things can do is that planning for the future. We can plan for tomorrow. And that's one of the differences that happens in that um, prefrontal cortex or yeah, the frontal lobe in our, in our frontal lobe um, that if injured or where mammals don't have is that's one of the big differences, right? We can plan. And that piece is really important. I often feel like it's, important to live in the moment in the present. Mhm. Yeah. It's a it's a beautiful lesson from a dog. I feel like that's what I always tell people when they when they say that because if you think about spending time with your dog or spending time with your cat or an animal, they are in the present, right? They're not thinking about how you forgot to feed them in an hour, like, you know, two hours late the night before, or how you didn't take them on a long enough walk. They're thinking about how excited they are that you're sitting there and loving on them. And so taking kind of a book out of a, or a page out of your dog's book of how to be present, um, is just really experiencing, you know, what it is to be in your feeling at that moment, what's going on in your body at that moment, because the present is a really beautiful gift. It's that, I'm not, I don't really like cliches, but this is a really great cliche. Um, it's the <laughs> idea that, um, and I'll butcher it too, because now I can't even think of the exact one, but it's like the present is really a present because you don't have the past or future. It's something like that. But um, it's true because you can't do anything in, unless you're in the present, right? And it, we're like, yeah, consciously, I get that. But how much time do you sit thinking about your future or your past there's not a whole lot of time where you're just in the moment, actually feeling what's happening in your body, focusing on your breathing, actually being fully present, not on your phone, scrolling social media when you're with your kids or your partner or your friends, right? Um, so that is a really big piece of being present. I couldn't agree more. So your next topic is how can an individual overcome the following? Depression, burnout, self-sabotage, and people pleasing? Oh my goodness. That is a loaded question. <laughs> um, you know, I will say that some of the things as far as depression, right? Specifically with depression, and anxiety, some of it is chemical. So there is sometimes a need where, um, you know, medication is appropriate for individuals. The thing with overcoming self-sabotage, people pleasing, burnout, is really figuring out what you enjoy and prioritizing that. Because when we get burnt out or when we are chronically people-pleasing and when we self-sabotage is when we're putting other people and their needs and their stories above our own. Because we are like, oh my gosh, if I get this paper in a day late, then, you know, the whole project is messed up for everybody else. But I'm, you know, only running on two hours of sleep and blah, 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 blah. The list goes on. Um, when you start to identify what really makes you happy and you prioritize that and make it regular, you fill your own bucket. And that's where 
that's the really important piece because if you are constantly emptying your bucket and pouring your energy out into other people's spaces, you can only give so much. If your bucket's empty, you have nothing else to give. What does that mean? When you come home at the end of the day, guess who doesn't have anything to give to their family, their kids or themselves? You. you. Yeah. So if you are, you know, saying I really love horseback riding or I really love running or I really love knitting or boxing or whatever it is, put it on your calendar, put it on your calendar at least once a week. And that becomes a non-negotiable. You schedule a meeting with yourself and nothing else changes that because not only does that allow you to engage with how much it allow you to engage with time with yourself and like something that you enjoy doing and fill that bucket. But the other thing that it does is if you, it reinforces to your subconscious mind that you're worth it and you're valuable. If you break that appointment, you're reinforcing that message of, "Mm, I'm not worth it. Or, you know, really something that I want to do and I care about, that's not a value to me. And I think that's one of the biggest ways I work with my clients on catching self-sabotaging behavior behavior or catching burnout before it actually occurs or people-pleasing is by shifting that language. When you start to feel like something is uncomfortable and not serving you anymore, shift that language and put it a different way. Say, hmm. I'm actually going to go to this dinner party that I don't want to go to because I don't matter. And how does that feel to say that? It sucks, but it's actually the honesty behind what you're doing. So if you can shift that language and start to catch it and then schedule yourself in those times where you're doing what you want, you're filling your own bucket, then you're not getting invested in other places. We invest so much of our identity in our careers in the United States. It's very different in some other cultures, right? Like if you look at European culture, that how they structure their workday is so different. They take like two to three hour lunches and then they have, you know, naps in the middle of the day. And we sit here and we're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But think about how much different it is, right? They're enjoying time with friends. They're connecting with colleagues. They're prioritizing their health and their sleep hygiene. We are putting all of our identity and all of our energy into a career That's part of your identity and we're pushing away all the other aspects of it. And then you become, I am for me, then I become, I'm a counselor. Okay. But I'm also a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a friend. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm a horseback rider, like whatever it is, right? These are all other pieces of my identity. All of those other things deserve energy as well. Right. I don't think people really understand the importance of me time. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. Me time's a more important than anything else. And it sounds selfish, but this is your, uh, this is somebody telling you it's okay to be selfish. Right. You just got to listen to what is going on in your head. Cause we have so much like thoughts running through our head, what we have to do in the morning, what we have to do at work mm-hmm. in the afternoon, what you have to do when you get home, you have to cook, take care of your kids or your partner. And so much is going on. And like you said, you, people forget themselves and like you said you're burned out it's mm-hmm. like to the point like all right hold on i gotta take a time out i need time for myself mm-hmm. you'll understand later when i come back as my normal self right and i think you know it's hard like you just mentioned like we all have so many things on our to-do list and our work list and all these different things so it's not stressing yourself out to add another thing on your list 
it's saying I'm worth it. And also if, you know, an hour to go to the gym or do like a workout class or whatever it is you're setting time aside for is not feasible right now. Okay. Put 10 minutes on your daily list, right? 10 minutes at your lunch hour, go on a walk outside, right? You're still prioritizing you. If it's five minutes of breathing, that's totally fine, right? It's something that you're saying, I matter. I'm taking intentional time for me. You got to do it. It's essential. Mm -hmm. So the next question is, how is your relationship with your parents today compared to what it was when you were younger? <laughs> it's a good one. Um, ooh. So as I <laughs> mentioned, I was a bit of a challenging teenager. <laughs> um, you know, so my, my relationship honestly was not good with my parents. Um, I had a good relationship when I was younger. Um, there was some abuse in my household. So that added some things, but, um, to be honest, my relationship with my parents is great now. And it's because I've done a lot of healing. Um, we can't change people. And so I've accepted that my parents did the best that they could. And nobody is perfect. I know that I'm going to make mistakes with my son. And as much as I want to be like, I'm going to be a perfect mom. I'm a counselor. There's a good chance that I will mess him up in some way. I'm very realistic about that. And I'm happy <laughs> to put him in counseling when he needs it. Um, but understanding like people are doing the best that they can has been a really valuable lesson for me. And I do have a really awesome relationship with my parents. I mean, I'll share too, part of my journey with how I got into this field, which I didn't mention earlier on, um, is that my dad was in an active addiction and we didn't know about it until I was an adult. And then everything kind of hit the fan. And, um, it was really a challenging time for my family. But um, he, I'm happy to report, is five and a half years sober now, and we have mended our relationship because he did some work, I did my work, and I understood some of the behaviors that happened before. Well, I'm glad everybody was able to come together and heal as one and also do some self-healing along the journey, too. Yeah, I will say, I mean, it's always challenging. So, you know, people are people and they play beautiful roles in your life to teach you different things, especially our parents. Um, so, you know, if that's, if you're hearing that and you're like, yeah, that's really great, but I don't think I'm there. That's okay. It takes time. And sometimes the boundary needs to be set that it's not having a relationship with your family at this time. It's also okay. Yeah. Sometimes you got to step back and look at things from afar, like, is it good for you? Or is it not good for you? You got to eliminate the things that aren't good for you and keep the things that are good for you. Right. Very true. So at this point in my pod, I always turn it over to my guests and you can ask me any question that you want. I'm curious why you started this podcast. <laughs> That's the question I'm always asked. <laughs> <laughs> so it's first, it just started out as a hobby, like, I would just like interviews like some of my friends to see how the vibe would be. And I liked it at first. Mm -hmm. I also listened to like variety of different podcasts, whether it has to do with business, finance, sports, or mystery, whatever it may be the case, I would listen to it. Mm -hmm. And over time, as I got to start interviewing people from like around the world and different walks of life, um, I got began to start falling in love with it because I get to learn about new things I never know about before. Like I'm like a sponge, I like to soak up as much information as I can. 
So it just all ties together. I love that. That's a fantastic reason. <laughs> so before we end this, um, do you have anything new coming up on the horizon? Um, do you have a last message you'd like to leave the listeners? And do you want to share your social media handles as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I think as my last message, I would just say that healing takes time, right? And I think that it's okay to be wherever you're at and it's okay to feel however you feel. It's starting to figure out, is this how I want to feel? And then that's what makes the change, right? That's when you start to say, okay, if maybe not, then what's next? Um, so I just want to validate that, you know, where you're at now is okay. And it's perfectly fine to be there. And then um, my social media handles are Caitlin um, dot the abundance alchemist. Um, and it's Caitlin C A I T L Y N dot the abundance alchemist. Um, and I think that's, that's my Instagram. And then Facebook is just the abundance alchemist. Um, yeah, I think those are the, those are the two that I normally hang out on. So if you want to reach out to me, um, feel free. And I do, um, counseling in Colorado, uh, specifically for co-occurring mental health and addiction. And then I also do um, holistic coaching um, for similar things, but not necessarily the counseling interventions um, all around the world. So, yeah. Hey, y'all make sure you follow her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the other one too, um, I will say is I do have a podcast too. It's the Abundance Alchemist podcast. So feel free to check that one out. Some of the topics that uh, you asked me about today, I expand a little bit more on um, in some of their episodes. All right. So bonus question before we end. Mm -hmm. Now, throwing the same question you asked me back at you. What made you start your podcast? Ooh. Um, you know, I think it was a similar reason, to be honest. I really, like I said, working with so many different people um, and learning so much from people that I didn't really expect to learn what I did from them. I decided I wanted to talk to people from all different walks of life, doing all different types of things with um, helping people heal. Because as I mentioned earlier, there's we can't look at healing in just one way. And I also think that means that you can't just have like one person on your healing team, right? Like, I'm a really strong believer that you shouldn't just have a counselor. You should have um, a life coach. You should have a psychiatrist if you need it. You should have a medical provider. You should have a mentor. Like you need to have a lot of people in your corner for support um, to have that holistic approach. And that was part of the reason of, you know, I wanted to give my listeners and um, some of my clients, to be honest, different resources of, you know, different ways and modalities to heal that maybe they hadn't thought of before. That sounds like a good enough reason to me. <laughs> good. <laughs> so I just want to say, Caitlin, once again, thank you so much for accepting my invitation to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And um, thanks to all your listeners for hanging with us and listening to me ramble. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's rambling. It's more of great information. Good. I'm glad it felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to say I want you to have a good night and enjoy your weekend ahead and make sure you're getting proper rest. Thank you. Yeah. And let me know um, when you will be airing it. I'm happy to share it. Um, if you have like a graphic or something too on my social media. Um, I actually will be 
uploading it tonight. So <laughs> oh, perfect, awesome, great. Well, send me whatever you got, and I will post it on uh, my social probably tomorrow. I definitely got you. Awesome. Well, thanks again, and have a great night yourself. You too. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.